Well, that is the sound of war. So it is March 2nd, 2021. Welcome everyone to the Tory Says Show. For those of you that are still on Facebook or DLive, uh, I am moving that along. I don't need Facebook banning me yet until things are rectified. And uh, YouTube is coming down as well. And so is DLive. Um, And that's only because, uh, you know, DLive has been involved in some shenanigans, so those channels are coming down now. So I would suggest you go to Twitch or Trovo, and I will see you guys on the other side there. So um, today is an interesting day. We have uh, Ray testifying. We have all these different aspects of things coming out of the woodwork. I can tell you this morning I have been extremely busy. Um, after having a couple of conversations, obviously, um, I am, uh, I have until the end of today waiting for this uh, weird guy in Ohio, uh, who's supposedly a lawyer, Ipert, to get back to me with the documents he should have dropped in his drive. Um, and once that's done, then we can collect on that. Uh, as far as YouTube is concerned, no one can give you advice at the courthouse. But they can give you some direction. And so now I am calling um, various uh, law firms in the area um, for a class action claim and uh, for the stolen money. And what dawned on me is that, you know, when I was speaking with one person, obviously they like to take advantage of people and they're like four fifty an hour. I'm like, yeah, all right, buddy. See ya. Uh, that's not happening. Uh, cause I've done most of the legwork. All right. Uh, you know, August, they stole that from me. I've waited over six months and that's the reason. Cause I wanted to show if they were going to say, well, we could hold on to that money cause it's dangerous, which it's not theirs. Cause when you send a sticker or something, it's to support the person, not YouTube. They kept that money. And uh, some of that money was my $5 because I will never ask or promote or do anything that I haven't tried myself. 
Okay. I like, even when I started up Twitch, I had another Twitch account to see what the features are, what this is, you know, and play around with it. I, you know, I wanted to see how does YouTube accept stickers? How do they do their subscriptions? I subscribed, I sent stickers and even to my own account, I sent myself $5 and I didn't get that back. So that means that those $5 stickers, $2 stickers, 99 cent stickers, $50 stickers, $20, whatever the stickers were, right? They weren't for YouTube. They were for the content creator and they stole that. And obviously, you know, most of the revenue was advertising revenue still intended for the creator at the time because I wasn't deemed dangerous or demonetized. So I already made that money and they kept it. So this is where I tackle them. This is flat, black, and white, straightforward. So, um, you know, obviously I'm only complaining about $8,000. And so the attorney was like, well, you know, the limit now on this is $6,000 that you could do maximum. I can't break it up and put it in two different lots. So that way I can at least get some, you know, um, judgment. And so I was like, all right, so what do we, he's like, well, they're going to fight it. How are they going to fight it? They stole money. Oh, well, they could say whatever. And I was like, that's fine. Cause they said it after they stole the money. And not only that, I've left my shit up there for six months and they've made a shit ton of money. So now I can request the records of monetizing my content for six months. That's considered dangerous. And they have to tell me why I'm not do that profit, but they are because it's considered dangerous. So these are, these are things that, you know, you have to be patient. You have to be so patient sometimes and you have to wait, wait, wait. So, um, basically YouTube stole from the people that were sending stickers and shit. So this is why it has to be a class action suit. So anybody that has contributed to a, to a content creator, if you guys ever sent me a sticker and I never saw that income, boom, you know, it comes back. So, um, I'm, I'm fishing around for a, um, good class action attorney. Uh, you know, I couldn't believe that dude was like 450. I'm like, yeah, whatever. See ya 450 when I've done all this shit. No. I've done all the homework. You're not going to do shit to fight their lawyers. Fuck their fight their lawyers. I need a judgment. So that way we could take it to the next step. I need a judgment so we could take it to the next step. Like what's so hard? What is so hard about that? So, so that's what I've been doing all morning. Boom. That's done. So I dealt with the secretary of state dealt with, you know, fishing around for lawyers, having conversations. Cause when I went down there to file the, um, uh, the actual, um, small claims, they were like, Oh, the limit's 6,000. Cause you have to do it. I was like, okay, can we do it like district courts? So, yeah. So maybe you can split it. And they're like, but that's illegal. And they're like, we're not allowed to give you legal advice. And someone, you know, they're so nice, read it and was like, you, you need a class action. This is pretty good. Your arguments are really good. Um, you need a class action, like go find yourself a lawyer. And I was like, what? Uh, so, um, we'll see. I reached out to a few and, um, I'll be having those conversations later, um, to see if I can find anyone. In the meantime, I wanted to show off my lawyer. So my lawyer is a really good guy. His name is David. He's like super liberal. Like he loves Joe Biden. You'd be like, what? Yep. He totally loves Joe Biden and he's totally a leftist, but he's only a leftist. I think sometimes. 
I don't know. <laughs> it's just so bizarre. But um, he's a really good guy. And yesterday, um, he was on television. You know Oops. Cool. He was on television talking about something that I said that people were like, no, that's not happening. Tori's just talking out of her butt. This is America. It doesn't happen. So this is a, a precursor, right, to... Um, what is really going on. And uh, he didn't mention me in this um, report. He didn't talk about me. But what he talked about was the atrocities that were discovered. So, you know, like I've said, the attorney general didn't like me because I was after him. So he utilized his office to go after me, right? Um, he had no complaint, no victim, no monetary loss, nothing. But he opened up an investigation himself, okay? So now I want you to watch um, a video where, uh, you know, my lawyer is interviewed and he clearly explains to the people of North Dakota that you have no rights, right? And this is a battle that I'm fighting for people in North Dakota that were talking shit about me or weren't grateful. I mean, they're all liberals. They're fake righties. Here's where it comes down to it. You have absolutely no rights. He can print off subpoenas on his printer and just do it. And he all he has to say is, yeah, I'm just conducting an investigation. Well, on what basis? He doesn't have to tell you. He doesn't. That's my lawyer. He hasn't. I'll tell you what. That guy was a savior. He came into my life and accepted to help me with zero money after my witness was shot and killed right? He came in and saved me because the judges were literally abusing their right to power. They were so bad. They violated every single right I had. And imagine he did secret subpoenas on every single facet of my life and couldn't find a crime. So he, he went in with a civil suit. Listen to what my lawyer says. This is all real stuff. When you think you've been free, this is all real stuff. Back to point of view, question for you. What if there was a law in the books here in North Dakota that allowed the attorney general to subpoena your bank records without you ever knowing? Or what if there was a law in the books that allowed the attorney general to subpoena your educational records without you ever knowing? Believe it or not, those laws are on the books in North Dakota. Joining us now, attorney David Thompson, in full disclosure, he ran against Attorney General Wayne Stenjum in 2018. But David, welcome to the show. Hopefully I sort of set that up okay for you. Uh, help us understand what exactly is going on here in North Dakota with the laws, which gives the Attorney General the power to make these requests without you or I ever knowing. Uh, yeah, Chris, good to be here. Uh, first of all, one of the first things uh, to observe here is the fact that unlike the federal uh, government and uh, where there would be a federal agency that would want to uh, subpoena your bank records or anyone's in North Dakota, the attorney general can print out a subpoena and he can go ahead and obtain your bank records from any bank here in North Dakota uh, without you ever knowing it. Um, if, if federal agencies are governed by an act of Congress that basically says uh, anytime a federal law enforcement agency or any agency wants to subpoena your bank records, that agency has to notify you, and then there's a form that they have to give you that you fill out. And when you fill that out, you have an opportunity to go to federal court immediately. Um, people can do that without a lawyer. Um, so 
uh, in North Dakota, there's a there's a real vacuum here of protection for uh, banks, bank depositors, and consumers. Uh, the attorney general can print out a subpoena. It's called the next parte administrative subpoena, and uh, it is not does not run through any court. It's not approved by any judge, and uh, he can do it as much as he wants. He can just print it out of his printer and uh, go to any bank he wants or to any educational institution that he wants and obtain your education records or your bank records and other types of records. Hold on. Let me just point something out. So it's not just educational. It's not just bank. It's deeds. It's health records. It's any record you can even think of he has access to. And here's the thing. His jurisdiction only applies in the state of North Dakota. Now, if any educational institution, because I have many of them, some of them agreed with his subpoena when it was outside of the state, it has no power and they still did it. So he had partial information. He even went to Facebook and Twitter and LinkedIn. Guess what Twitter and Facebook did? They just handed that shit over. LinkedIn was like, fuck that. Nope. That's not a real subpoena. So this is how, and they don't even have to tell you. I knew this guy had gotten, uh, the attorney general had gotten secret subpoenas on me before he even filed the civil case on me. That is a big deal because they know they can get away with it. Well, they picked on the wrong person. Very patient I am. Very patient. And this man you're seeing, total lefty, total liberal. But you know what? It doesn't matter. Because one thing that if you see it, one thing, our political ideologies or our ideologies on how we should speak, how we should act may be different, but the core remains the same. There should be fair and just systems and laws in place always, right? Always. Like you would never think that someone like him would be representing a conservative like me, right? But yes, he is, because at the core, what matters is justice, because he as an attorney knows that, hey, if if the if people on the right are getting screwed, it's only a matter of time before people on the left are being screwed. The law is the law. It's black and white. There's no gray area. So I wanted to point that out. It's not just educational, financial. It's every single record, every single one. And right now I'm in the Supreme Court in North Dakota and he's representing me. Sue. And uh, you never find out about it. So for the for the person sitting home saying, why should I care if the attorney general does that or not? Why should I care? Well, the bottom line is this. I think that, that uh, certainly Congress found that there's a, a right of privacy that every bank depositor <clears throat> has in their bank records. Uh, and that applies to any, uh, any uh, credit union or anything else. Where any federal agency wants to obtain your bank records... They have to tell you as soon as they subpoena those records from the bank or credit union or whatever. Uh, Then before they get any information from the bank, before the bank or the credit union can release any information concerning uh, uh, you, um, the bank has to give you an opportunity to object or the AG has to give you an opportunity to object. And you can do that within 10 days. And then you have an opportunity to go to court and explain why the attorney general should not be uh, permitted to obtain your bank records with this ex parte subpoena that never was approved of by a court. Uh, it's all based upon the, uh, derives from the uh, uh, Fourth Amendment of the Constitution, which prohibits unreasonable searches and seizures. And um, we, we also have a similar 
state constitutional right as well. Uh, so Congress re- regulates federal agencies. Federal agencies, regardless of who they are, cannot get your bank records without notifying you and giving you an opportunity to go into court within 10 days to object. All right. And so just clear, the attorney, the attorney general has the right, the purview to do this. It's more about the fact that the North Dakota laws are so weak that they aren't protecting people's personal privacy. So if people out there going, Hey, wait a second, I didn't know this. I want to change it. What do they need to do? What they need to do is do two things. I think they can approach Congress as well and say, look, there should be greater protection to the extent that Congress feels that they can't regulate North Dakota or any state court agency to do it. The place to go is your state legislator. Uh, there's still an opportunity for the legislator uh, to uh, file a, a delay bill in the legislature, and um, that could happen. It's late. Yes, it is. But uh, this law should be changed. North Dakota should have the same protection for uh, uh, bank deposit when the attorney general tries to obtain your bank records uh, as opposed to the federal government where federal agencies uh, have to uh, uh, notify you of your right to go to court uh, by yourself even uh, and object within 10 days and explain why uh, that federal governmental agency should not be permitted to gain your bank records and financial institution records. So uh, basically, that's it. I mean, uh, in North Dakota, we should have the same protection for bank depositors and consumers uh, that the federal government uh, has provided relative to federal agencies when the attorney general just prints out subpoenas and wants to serve them on your bank. Got it. And and to be fair, someone's got to be under at least an investigation for the attorney general to do that, correct? Well, the attorney general is, yes, is, is saying he conduct, is conducting an investigation, but it's not governed by any court. This okay. isn't like a this isn't like a grand jury has approved of a subpoena. Point. The, the attorney general just prints this subpoena out. It's called an administrative subpoena. And the attorney general just prints out the subpoena. And uh, that subpoena is delivered and served upon a bank, credit union, uh, what have you. Uh, and, uh, there's a big in capital letters. There's an instruction to the bank not to tell the depositor that the bank's been served with this subpoena. So it even goes farther uh, under federal law. The federal agency has to not only tell you and serve you and require, excuse me, that that federal agency uh, uh, serve you with that same subpoena at the very same time as the bank is served with it. Uh, but also, uh, you get complete notification of what's happening and you can object and go into court before the federal law enforcement agency gets access to your bank records. Here in North Dakota, the attorney general can just print these administrative subpoenas out of his uh, out of his uh, printer yep. uh, in Bismarck and serve them and uh, instruct the banks not to tell the depositor that this subpoena has been, in fact, served. Uh, so months and years can go by and many times people aren't even aware of the fact that the attorney general has secretly obtained your bank records. And just so you know, once my Supreme Court case is up, I'm actually going to sue the bank that handed over records, which is Gate City Bank um, in North Dakota, because on a federal level, they violated my rights because it's unconstitutional. Now, I want you to understand this attorney general has been in office for over 20 years. Um, he actually went after a political opponent before that was a Democrat. She had a shit ton of money. He actually had her locked up and then she was released because it was all bogus because she she was throwing a shit ton of money to get him 
you know, get his opponent elected. So this is reality and it probably exists in every single state. Now, again, like my lawyer said, he just has to say he's investigating. Do you know how many people, uh, that was the last words that he said. There's a lot of people out there that he investigated and they don't even know it. You know, he just looks into it. So this is, this is it. Like I didn't have anything to hide. There was nothing wrong with anything I did. I was straightforward. I had nothing to hide and he violated my rights. I, he did it with a smile on and the judges were fine with it too. The judges were totally fine with it because he gets to write those laws. That's another thing. So, so this will be coming to fruition and I'm going to sue the shit out of that bank. I, they're going to, I'm going to own those banks. Well, patience, patience, patience. I will own those banks because on a federal level, on a federal level, they screwed me over on a federal level. They violated my rights. And you know what his administrative subpoena is like? Well, years ago, Mueller was caught in a scandal. The scandal was that he was distributing national security letters like they were candy. What are national security letters? National security letters are, you're going to give us these records and you're not going to tell the person that we're getting it. Well, actually, they were deemed unconstitutional. So listen to this. I've had two judges, right? in appeals and his first filing refuse my constitutional right to privacy and they allowed him to continue. So I have to be patient because I don't have a shit ton of money to go up against the state. I have to be patient. I have to pray. I am lucky that David walked into my life. You guys have no idea how lucky I am because it just happened, you know, Weeks after my witness on the whole trafficking was shot in the back of the head by a cop, point blank. God rest that little young man's soul. I'm I'm telling you, he was a godsend. And all he did, because he couldn't find a crime, so he subpoenaed the shit out of anything he could, violated every single right I had, and he couldn't find shit on me. Nothing, nothing that was a crime. He was begging to find a crime and he couldn't find one. So he was begging the judges, don't let her use the internet because he knew exactly who I was. He said, don't let, uh, you know, he was wiretapping my phone from SRT. He was doing everything. He was monitoring my internet. He was everything. He violated every single right I have. And while that was being done, There was a troll farm that had been activated to put maximum pressure. There was a Catholic school my daughter was attending. They actually kicked her out at his bequest. They said, I'm sorry, she's not welcome at our school anymore. I kid you not. They came down so hard. Man, I've got, I, 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 I have said this many times. I am more than happy to go to war. My armor is that of God and I fear nothing and no one. And when I say that I've been battling this, I have been battling this hardcore. His lawsuit that he filed against me is thousands of pages out of bullshit, little portions. And he created some story out of portions and portions. And you know, It was indicative things that he was putting in there. I was like, where is this coming from? I should have freaking paid attention. I was just like so under attack as a human being. As a human being, I was under attack. There was this freaking loser who was leading. There's actually a group. I kid you not. 
on Facebook, which is so good because that's been subpoenaed by the FBI, of people that were being paid by the attorney general. Check this. This is There's a woman named Miranda Hassler. She actually worked for a passport agency. She was actually slotted in there by him so that she could pull more information illegally. And then she was fired after the fact. She led a troll farm of vicious attacks against my children. I kid you not. These people are evil. These people are sick. And exactly what's happening to Lynn Wood, what happened to General Flynn, what happens to Sidney Powell, you know how they attack? That's what they do. And I stayed there. Can you imagine? I, I'm, I'm going to tell you just how horrible the situation was. Um, I had gone to the movies with my daughter to watch... Um, that movie about abortion, it was premiering and I went there to sit down and some woman was like, Oh my God, that's Tori. Let's move. And it's like the whole theater just like left me. Like they were so rude about it. That's how disgusting they were. And all I did was fight for their rights, fight for children that were being trafficked, fight for the fact that they were being usurped, fight for the fact that they were being cheated out of $200 million debt fight. Yeah. The movie unplanned, correct. Fight for all of these. And they treated me like that. That is exactly how it happens. Because when you are righteous, nobody wants to hear the truth. People want to put their heads so far up their ass that they can't see. That's the way it is. And when I say that I've been fighting this, I'm not just saying it. And when, you know, when Akbar came out, I was like, dude, I've been around a worse rodeo, worse rodeo that you can't go to the doctor Right. And have privacy because the nurses are fucking taking pictures of you at the cancer center. And then they're posting them all over Facebook laughing at you. I kid you not. That shit happened to me. And I had no one to help. I had filed so many police reports above board. You know, I could have done some really detrimental things. Man, I was so close. And I was like, nope, nope, nope. And I put myself in a bigger box. You guys have no idea. Some people that do, they're just like, I don't know how you do it. I mean, I don't know. You just have to. You have to pray and say, it's going to go forward. When I tell you, the Catholic school, Bishop Ryan, it's called, they didn't want my daughter back after the attorney general contacted them. I was paying for her education and so she can have a good education. And they didn't want my daughter at the school because of what the attorney general did. They were trying to get me to leave. They were like, just get out of our city. That's how they were acting. Why? Because I'm exposing all the rut. I'm exposing evil. You're, ooh, but it was okay. I had to sit there. I thought... You know, I was at a breaking point when stuff happened in my personal life. Could you imagine all that plus what happened in my personal life? That was it. That was it. And that, and that, I tell you, is one of the biggest weapons they use. They psychologically mess with your head and you have to stay focused. This isn't a joke. This isn't a game. So if they're doing that to me on one, I want you to think of it as a grander scale. Like I said. A whole state went up my behind. They gave me a colonoscopy so thorough, you know, and they found absolutely nothing. Yet I've got people talking shit about me. That's okay. That's okay. I'm for it. I'm for it. Now, um, I could tell you that it didn't help much. Um, you know, it didn't help much as a person 
the stress was ridiculous. Like I was worried to go to the doctor because people would take pictures. I kid you not. There's a group called My Not Whiners and Complainers on Facebook, and that's all they do. There's like 9,000 people. And guess who's in that group? The fucking police is in there. So is the mayor. So are all of them talking shit about Tory. I kid you not. I'm, I live rent-free in their head, obviously. But they, they did this because I was exposing the garbage, the $200 million loan that they got and charge to the people of the city of Minot to bail out the state bank of North Dakota, the only state bank. This is it. They came after me because I was showing what they were doing with the Army Corps engineers, the collusion they had, the sex trafficking, the human trafficking, the Native American abuse. They were abusing the crap out of the reservations, all of that. I was taking out. I got their U.S. Marshal fired. I got their U.S. Marshal, Deputy U.S. Marshal, in jail. I got their BCIs done. I got nurses on their feet. Oh, man. And this is how I was repaid, with hate and and attacks. But you know what? My day will come because truth is truth and justice is justice. And it never comes in on a Lamborghini. It's always on a damn donkey. But this is what you need to understand. This is considered unconstitutional. And this has been happening for years. It didn't happen today. It didn't happen yesterday. It's been going on for years. And here is a report from about seven years ago deeming these types of subpoenas unconstitutional. Here we go. Volume judge last week found that the FBI has not been abiding by the Constitution for years and is demanding for the agency to change its ways. Here's the rundown. The FBI has been writing hundreds of thousands of so-called national security letters to private businesses. These letters demand for employers to disclose private information about their clients that would otherwise require a warrant or a subpoena in order to obtain. Essentially, it's the FBI's way of skirting around court orders. The agency even tried to hide these letters by preventing businesses from even talking about them. But that's not the case any longer. Here to explain why, I'm joined by Kevin Gostola, a blogger at FireDog Lake. Hey there, Kevin. So what is the latest information coming out from this U.S. District Court? Well, so to explain why this decision happened, it's because you're basically constraining speech. It's an issue of free speech. You're making it so that someone who is receiving this request to be silent is unable to acknowledge that they themselves are under an investigation. And the court found that while there's nothing wrong really with national security letters, that a person or even the company should be able to talk about receiving, that there's no risk at all that could be even found anywhere that you were risking national security by talking about the receipt. And the judge's decision addressed several uh, constitutional issues that she found with these NSL letters. In her decision, she said, quote, moreover, this, there is no evidence before the court that Congress was still concerned about the constitutional deficiencies after it had taken steps to address some of the constitutional infirmities found by the district courts in the Second Circuit. Rather, it appears that in amending and reenacting the statute as it did, Congress was concerned with giving government the broadest powers possible to issue NSL disclosure orders and preclude searching judicial review at the same time. So was Congress really helping the FBI skirt around the courts? 
that's the way it appears. And it wouldn't be surprising when you consider how willing the Congress has been to authorize these sort of surveillance measures under uh, things like the Patriot Act and, and other legislation. It, it seems, and the court really put a pin on it and, and discussed how it seemed like Congress had actually carved out this legislation so that the court would have it be really impossible to review this sort of process. So it would be ultimately difficult for someone who was the victim of this gag provision to even go challenge uh, the way things were going in the courts. So, okay. So basically if they got this letter, they weren't even allowed to acknowledge that they got this letter, just so you understand. So it's like, I get a letter that says, I want information on your employee, Joe Schmo, or I'm your neighbor. And I get a, a letter and it says, I need you to give me information on, on your neighbor, Joe Schmo. Now, I give them the information I'm not allowed to talk about, and I'm not even allowed to say that I have that letter, that someone came to me. So if I even acknowledge that I have a letter that says, snitch on your employee, snitch on your neighbor, tell me everything, go collect data, you're supposed to do this, I can't even acknowledge that I got those directions, because by acknowledging those directions, I go to jail. That's basically it. So the the court actually ruled that it was um, illegal to tell people they can't even talk about receiving a letter. And it's illegal to get, gather information on citizens without their knowledge. And just like my lawyer said, in the state of North Dakota, if the FBI wanted to get my bank records, for example, my bank has to tell me that. They have to tell me, hey, yo, they're asking for them. You know, you need to give it. Or they want something. They have to subpoena. FERPA was chucked out the window for me. That's why I said even the universities that did give information, they're getting sued too. I just have to wait till after the Supreme Court. I'm going to sue the shit out of everybody. Because at that time, once I'm done with the Supreme Court, that's when I sued the Attorney General for Fourth Amendment violations, right? My rights right? Sue the shit out of him. And that lawsuit's going to fund suing the shit out of the banks, suing the shit out of the institutions and actually changing the laws. And unfortunately, someone has to be in the line of fire. Someone has to be a victim to do so. I was selected and that's fine. I, that's fine. I mean, the mental anguish, I mean, you could give me billions of dollars. I still have PTSD from that. So let me ask you this. How fundamental were these uh, were these letters to, to helping the FBI out? How will the FBI collect this information without these NSL letters? Well, so we have to keep in mind here that we're not talking about ending the NSL process. So that's really not uh, a fundamental concern here. Uh, but, but I guess what becomes the concern and why the FBI wants everyone to remain silent is that the way that the NSLs are being used is to create these uh, these communities of interest to not only just do surveillance on one person, but start to fan out and, and, and look at the associations of individuals. So it makes it very powerful to go after members of like a hacktivist group like Anonymous, or even, you know, consider the cases of, uh, of maybe Muslims, of uh, perhaps maybe the FBI providing some background support for the NYPD that likes to engage in racial profiling and and has come under immense scrutiny for the surveillance of, of Muslims there. Uh, so and this is how it functions. 
Kevin, I do want to ask you one other interesting point to make is the sheer volume of letters that was actually being issued. It's uh, shocking, to say the least. In 2003, over uh, 39,000 of these letters went out. In 2006, uh, almost 50,000 were sent out. And in 2011, over 16,000 were signed, stamped and sent out. So how could this have been happening for so long with, with no one really questioning it until now? Because there were gag orders that made people afraid to speak about the fact that they were receiving them and made it afraid for companies. Only recently is Google posting data on the requests that they're receiving from government. And even then, they're only posting ranges and not the exact number because uh, there's, a, there's a chill. Um, and they've, everyone involved in this who is being asked to cough up information is under this fear that they're going to come under some kind of prosecution if they violate the gag provision. Very so now going forward, we're, going forward, we've, we've now, we're over that. It seems like there's going to be some kind of way for people to talk. Very interesting information. Kevin Gostola, blogger at Firedog Lake. Thank you for that analysis. So we've been around this rodeo before, huh? So we've had uh, unconstitutional discussions. And why is this coming into the forefront now? This is a battle I've been fighting since 2017. Right. Since 2017. It's now, you know, four years later and we're here now. That's how long it took, because what they do is they wait for you to roll over. I mean, every single judgment those those judges allowed to go through were actually crafted and written by the attorney general himself and they signed off on them. They violated every single right I had. There was no justice. And I, and, I, and I like the way David says, well, you can speak to your legislators. Let me tell you something. I spoke to legislators in North Dakota. None of them have the balls to go up against the attorney general. None of them. Because he owns a bank there and most of them bank there. <laughs> so none of them are going to go up against him. So that's what sucks is that they, they pretend that they're for the people. Right. And I haven't come full blown attack on the state legislators yet in North Dakota, but I will because they are the ones that passed the law to give a loan to the city of Minot of $180 million when they didn't have to, when FEMA would have given them the money for the damn flood wall seven years later. But all of them passed that law. They violated the law. They colluded. They colluded. So every single one of them in 2017, when they pass that, they'll be held accountable. And they know I'm coming for them. I am a patient bitch. I am so patient. And I can put up with a lot of things. Now, everything's been done to me. There is nothing else they can do to me. Nothing. And like I said, hate me now. You'll love me later. I've been saying that from forever in a day. Because when people understand just what I've been through to get the truth out, you know, I mean, why would you want to do it? Think about it. I'm telling you, normal people would have blown their brains out. You have no idea the type of warfare and irregular warfare they used on me. You have no idea the type of warfare used. The PSYOP that has been conducted on the general population globally on a minor scale. Now imagine all those tools being used against one person. You can't even leave your house without feeling attacked. Leave your house, like to go to the mailbox or to go to the store. You don't even want to eat out because they're probably going to poison you or spit in your food. Twice I went out. Both times I got food poisoning. Never went out again. So I couldn't even go out to eat. I was shut in. 
And then everyone was talking smack about me. You have no idea how it was. And yet I stood there and endured that as, you know, (laughs) as I had to. That was something I had to go through. And I think everyone, um, you know, I I don't think anybody else, not trying to say that I'm big and bad, but I don't think anybody else would have been able to survive that, honestly. Honestly, I don't think anybody would have been able to survive that. No one. I had filed FBI reports for cyber stalking, gang stalking, police reports. Even the police officers that I filed with were on that group talking shit about me. Like, how am I going to get anything done? You know, and they were pissed off because, you know, I exposed the fact that one of their police officers shot someone and then they erased the body cam footage, right? And they were upset. And I wanted to fight that battle. But I couldn't because I was under attack because I had just started that fight. And then all of this happened. Yeah, they erased their body cam footage. And instead of firing them or putting them through court because they didn't want Giglio coming up and all that stuff, uh, they just um, let them go. You know, they retired and they retired their canine unit. And then the guy that was, you know, um, a higher up officer in the police station was demoted. No, he should have been fired. You should have pulled his pension. He's, he's been entrusted with, uh, you know, to execute the law correctly. And instead he's done nothing but that. And that's okay. Because warriors get scars. This one, I'm going to say mentally, like it really screwed with me. The PTSD coming from that. Like, I don't even like, I think of that city and I feel sick to my stomach. I feel sick. Um, I really do. I feel sick. And the fact that I did so much for people, I didn't, I didn't tell them, Hey, look, I'm doing this for you. Right. It's going to show at the end. It's going to show at the end. Um, it's going to be there staring them in the face. You know, there are a lot of people that are like, I'm so sorry. I didn't go fuck yourself. You know, you're a Catholic school. I can't wait to destroy your Catholic school just because you're assholes, just because of that. These are the way, and, and I'm not going to do it. God is. God's going to do it. And that's it. I have to be patient with his time to expose things. That's what we have to be, patient with his time to expose things and fix things. This is why everything has to be a certain way. You're just like, what is going on here? Can we hurry this? This is not fair. Nope, here it is. You'll get smacked again and again and again, just like this nation has. You get smacked by evil every single day. Every single day you get smacked down by him because he wants you to bend the knee and say, enough, I can't do this. I'm not fighting for good anymore. I just want to put my head down and have a job. I don't need this stress on me. I don't care about all the children being trafficked. I don't see them out of sight, out of mind. I don't care about the women out of sight, out of mind. I don't care about the endless debt that they are issuing to my fellow community members out of sight, out of mind. Is that what we need to do? Do we just stand by and let people do these things? No, we stand up and we're like, fire your shots, man. Let's do this. Fire your shots. You can't touch me. Fire your shots. And that's how it happens. I mean, there were bouts where my faith was trembling. I was like, okay, So I'm doing this and all I'm doing is getting smacked down. I'm doing this and these people are freaking insane. I'm doing, and this is how you feel. We've done this and these people are insane. We're talking about it and these people are insane. We voted for them and these people are insane. This is how it is. 
They smack you down to demoralize you, to take the wind right out of you so you don't stand up. This is what they've been doing constantly on a national level. So, uh, you know, many times I refer back to my little microcosm of what goes on in my little purview. And I'm like, okay, now take that small, like, you know how you do to scale and scale that shit up. It's the same exact thing. Only I was a micro target. And now you're a macro target. This is war. That is the sound of war. And the war has been waged on mankind. The war has been waged on the people. The war has been waged on the truth. And this is this the most frustrating part is that all these people that are pushing to do good, all these people that are supposedly telling people about all these great things are not. They're contributing to that, the fog of war, to confuse the people and not stay control and focused. You need to stay focused. You need to stay focused on what's going on. You know, this is, this war has begun a very long time ago. And I waged that battle after 2005. In 2005, I was like, all right, I'm ready to throw hands now. And all I had was 10 years in, 10 years in, well, a little bit more than that, but you know, it wasn't like super official, but 10 years in, it took me 10 years to realize enemy and friend, to realize truth and falsity. And through that time, those 10 years, right, I have had that fog feeling and I've had the, oh, maybe I was wrong. Maybe it's the other way. Like, guys, seriously. Like, there were times in my life where I'm like, oh, maybe what we're doing is good. Because for for a split second, I thought it was okay. <laughs> but how do you make it okay to take out tons of people on the African continent for the greater good? You can't make it okay. You can't make it okay. You can't make it okay to have a list of nations you want to trample on and do it so because you said so. That's not okay. That is not okay at all. Not okay. So as, um, you know, we're continuing before we see Christopher Ray talking, I want to play a clip and this is, um, uh, something that we've watched on the Tory Says Show a few times uh, and listened to that finally someone at um, Newsmax decided to showcase because I guess, you know, better late than never, right? Installation of Joe Biden is a culmination of a 40-year quest to demoralize and destabilize America. Slowly, our socialist enemies led by Russia have been working to infect the minds of American young people. Useful idiots buying into the dreams of a socialist utopia. Those Americans are unknowingly being used by our enemies to train the next generation of Americans to embrace the promise of socialism. This has been going on for decades in America, and their devious subversion is nearly complete. It all sounds like a grand conspiracy theory, until you listen to one of the men who helped carry out this scheme to take down America, KGB defector Yuri Bezmenov. I came across an interview of his 
from 1984. Marxism Leninism ideology is being pumped into the soft heads of, of, of at least three generations of American students without being challenged or counterbalanced by the basic values of Americanism, American patriotism. Well, he calls it psychological subversion, and he insists it is far more powerful than espionage. <clears throat> and the first stage of that subversion is what he calls demoralization. What it basically means is to change the perception of reality of every American to such an extent that despite of the abundance of information, no one is able to come to sensible conclusions in the interests of defending themselves, their families, their community, and their country. Well, if you think about what he's saying, it's amazing to see what's going on today. Now think about this. Reality in America is already gone. We have half a nation that doesn't see the importance of border security. We have half a nation that can't figure out why it's wrong to let men who claim to be women compete with complete dominance in female sports. We have an election system where half the nation doesn't think you should need ID to vote. These are common sense issues that one would think we would all agree on. But thanks to psychological subversion, demoralization is becoming a reality. And reality in America is gone. Exposure to true information does not matter anymore. A person who was demoralized is unable to assess true information. The facts tell nothing to him. This is what we're seeing over and over again. Just look at what President Trump said about these issues I just mentioned. The left went apocalyptic after his CPAC speech. Here's why. Our enemies through Hollywood, through the media, our schools and universities have clearly wiped out American values because none of this should really trigger anyone. But it does. Joe Biden has triggered a massive flood of illegal immigration into our country, the likes of which we have never seen before. We must have voter ID. There should be a 100 percent requirement to verify the citizenship of every person who votes. It's not good for women. It's not good for women's sports. They are now being forced to compete against those who are biological males. I mean, think about this now, folks. Somehow all of that is controversial. It shouldn't be. But after demoralizing a country to the point where you think comments like those are offensive, well, the next phase warns that KGB defector is destabilization to create chaos in America. What do you think is at the heart of what Antifa and Black Lives Matter rioters are doing right now? They are hungry for a destabilized America, a country in chaos. And these subversive radicals continue to keep us in that state of chaos. It has to be stopped unless you want to end up in, in gulag system and enjoy all the advantages of socialist equality, uh, working for free, catching fleas on your body, sleeping on, on the planks of, of plywood in in Alaska this time, I guess. That's where Americans will belong unless they will wake up. Listening to that man is chilling on its face. All of it, by the way, leads us to Joe Biden, a man who is on a mission to ruin the economy, destroy the idea of free markets, and install a big brother government, as that KGB defector had called out many years ago. In short, what Joe Biden wants to do is bring this country to crisis, the final phase, before every freedom as we know it is snatched away.
This is what will happen in the United States if you allow all these schmucks to bring the country to crisis, to promise people all kind of goodies and the paradise on earth. Well, look, he calls them schmucks. It makes you want to laugh because that's what they are, the people doing this, only they're much more dangerous than just an average schmuck, right? The sad reality is it could take decades to turn back the tide. So, folks, if you're not scared by now, then you can't be scared of anything. The time bomb is ticking. And if we don't write this ship in 2022 and again in 2024, there will be no place left on Earth to defect to. Because even now, America is still the defector's paradise. But the world communist system wants us destroyed. And the useful idiots in this nation are helping them do it. Hi, Emma Reckenberg here. If you like- the useful idiots are the people that are claiming racism. The useful idiots are the people that have no idea that they're not fucking oppressed. No one's oppressed in this nation. I don't want to hear it. No one's oppressed. There's no oppression unless you're a sex slave. Okay? There's no oppression unless you're being trafficked. You're not oppressed. You have the right to speak up. You have the right to petition for anything. So there's no oppression. It's all manufactured. These demagogues, we went through that video a long time ago. The question is, why are they bringing PSYOPs now? (laughs) A little bit late, better late than ever. And no one's going to wait till 2022. No one's going to wait till 2024. This shit is happening now. We want we planted the seeds. We're planting a few more this week. And then, boom, then it starts to bloom. Then we come to harvest. That's the way it has to work. That's the way it's going to be, like it or not. And slowly but surely, you know, some of them don't have to wait till later to bloom out. The minute they pop their head, we take the bud. We nip it in the bud. That's the way it goes. We don't have to follow their rules. We don't have to follow what they tell us. This is still the land of the free on paper, on paper, right? On paper. There are a lot of things going on, but on paper, still the land of the free. And my president did not say that he was running in 2024. He just said, donate to me so we could get this done. You think he's going to wait till 2022? He knows that tomorrow's too late. He knows that next week is too late. He knows that next month is definitely too late. So why would he say, oh yeah, let's just wait because we're getting shit done now. Well, everybody hates Director Ray, right? And (laughs) I've already gone through the different versions of spies. I want you guys to listen to (laughs) Ted Cruz asking him questions because then you're going to realize how many times we think and we hear and we're being told all these oohs and ahs, right? But you got to pay attention to the whole story. Bizarre. We will not be able to get access to the content and the evidence that we need to protect the American people. And then I think we will all rue the day. Well, Director, this this area um, raises a lot of very complex questions of civil liberties, of uh, individual rights, fundamental rights to free expression. But uh, I am I am also concerned about ways in which uh, online disinformation and conspiracy theories lead to radicalization and and help pave the way for this particularly a tragic event in the history of our democracy and how some of the ways in which social platforms are structured, social media platforms are structured, accelerate um, the spread of disinformation. Um, how policymakers and platforms confront these issues are going to be complex. And I look forward to 
working with you to get the facts as the FBI develops them about what happened on January 6th. Um, two last questions, if I might. My colleague, Senator Whitehouse, asked about responding to outstanding requests for information. And I agree, some of the stonewalling that we saw by a number of agencies uh, over the previous administration isn't acceptable. Can you just uh, reassure me the FBI will be as responsive as possible to information requests from this committee? Absolutely. It's my, you know, my strong view is that you all have an important key function to perform in terms of your oversight of the FBI as with other agencies. Uh, and it pains and frustrates me when we're not able to be as responsive uh, as you need us to be. Uh, and I commit to doing my best to see if we can work with you all to, to get better on that front. Thank you. Last, um, Senator Feinstein asked you a series of questions about the record number of Nick's denials uh, last year. Um, this is when someone goes in, tries to buy a gun, gets run through the background check system and is denied. Um, they're a person prohibited, often because they're a convicted felon. Um, I'm soon going to be introducing a bill with a colleague on this committee um, that would simply require that when there is a an attempt to buy that is denied because someone is a person prohibited, that notification be given uh, to state law enforcement. That is the law in some states. It is not the law in a majority of states. Does that seem to you something that would be a good additional tool in the toolkit uh, to allow state and local law enforcement to act on the tip that someone who is a person prohibited has just lied and tried to procure a weapon? Uh, certainly, uh, I think the, the lied and tried um, um, information is often a valuable tool uh, from an investigative perspective in preventing uh, more serious conduct. Uh, and we'd be happy to uh, to meet with you or engage with you to provide a little bit better sense of how all this works from an operational perspective. Um, I know that uh, the key consumer of the information here, as your question alludes, uh, are state and local law enforcement. So I would want to make sure that we do it in a way where we work with them as to what they would find most useful. Uh, certainly, as I said in response to Senator Feinstein, the volume of NICS checks overall, and with it, the volume as a small subset of denials uh, has exploded over the course of the last year. Uh, and so I, I am mindful of the, the resource burden that it puts on, on everybody in the law enforcement system, but uh, but be happy to talk with you more about it. Thanks. I look forward to working with you on that. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Senator Sayers. Thank you, Chairman. Uh, thank you, Director Ray, for being here, and thank you for the way you've been available available to us on this committee and on the Intel Committee. Uh, we've also been grateful for your work and availability. Um, we, we've talked a good bit about the intelligence failures around January 6th, but some of it is how did we sort signal from noise, and some of it is the handoff from the FBI and other entities to the Capitol Police as you do an after action, um, how much of the problem is the challenge of navigating a social media world where any drunk guy in a bar now has amplification that he can be heard around the world and lots of it is just drunk guy in a bar ranting and some of it is more particular threats because people can find communities of kind of warped belief with other people if they're planning something wicked uh, on social media. How much of it is the filtering through social media for you to make sense of it? And how much of the January 6th failure was the handoff from the FBI to Capitol Police? Well, Senator, as I said, when it comes to the handoff, uh, a lot of the attention has really been about this Norfolk uh, SIR, which I think I've, I've talked about it at some length, where we provided the information to our partners in three different ways. And as it was, the information was raw, uncorroborated information at the time, certainly. 
Uh, I think the other part of your question, uh, the filter, the social media piece of it, uh, is a huge issue. Uh, and it's something that uh, we and everybody in law enforcement struggles with right now. Um, uh, you know, you use the drunk guy example. I guess that sometimes I refer to it used to be that some angry, demented guy living in mom's basement, not that there's anything wrong with that, uh, you know, in one part of the country is now able to communicate with a similarly angry guy in grandma's attic in another part of the country, and they get each other spun up now. Uh, and and how to, to separate who's being aspirational versus who's being intentional. Uh, it won't shock you to learn, uh, and hopefully not other members of the committee, that the amount of angry, hateful, unspeakable, combative, violent even rhetoric on social media uh, exceeds what anybody in their worst imagination is out there. That's uh, true. And so trying to figure out who's just saying, you know what we ought to do is X or everybody ought to do X versus the person who's doing that and actually getting traction and then getting followers. And of course, that's assuming they're not communicating through encrypted channels about all that stuff. Uh, is one of the hardest things there is to do in today's world with the nature of the violent extremism threat we face. Social media companies play a huge role in helping us with that. But you often hear us say, if you see something, say something. To me, the refinement here would be if Americans see something on social media that seems to have crossed that line, they need to say something because that's going to be our best source of information to prevent this. Yeah, the raw so, stuff I sent helpful. you on Akbar, um, right? I've heard from Nebraska law enforcement before. <clears throat> At one level, they don't really know what to do with. If you see something, say something, because it's not clear exactly where they hand that information. So let's talk a little bit more about the handoff between state and local law enforcement, as Senator Coons was, and the Bureau, but also between platform technology platform con content moderation and the Bureau. But first, just inside the Bureau, Give us comfort that we're getting a lot better at this because I don't think we're giving you enough resources um, to get the right kind of new human capital you're going to need. But I'd love to be wrong. So go from three years ago to a year ago, a year ago to today and a day to a year from now. How are we getting better at filtering signal from noise? And Artificial what kind of new intelligence, you twat. Are you hiring that should give us confidence? Gosh, that we're gonna get better it annoys me so much. I'm so sorry. I apologize for that rant. comment. Well, certainly, we're, there's a number of things we're trying to do to get better, and I think we are making progress, but all of it, as you uh, reference, requires resources. Um, so there's a, a data analytics piece because the volume is so significant that we need to uh, get better at being able to analyze the data that we have to do it in a timely way to separate the wheat from the chaff. Um, and that. All right, let's just pause it right there. Okay, I can't stand SAS at all. Uh, he irritates me so much. But I want you to listen to this explanation. I haven't heard it, but I'm telling you what he's explaining to you is artificial intelligence. Doesn't need more humans. He needs better artificial intelligence. It requires both uh, tools, analytical tools, and we've had requests for those in the budgets the last couple of years, uh, but also people, data analysts, who can devote their time to that, who have the experience so that's part of it. I think a second part of it is, uh, as I think I referenced in response to an earlier question, all of these investigations that we do, all these arrests we make are important, not from a, not just from a disruption perspective, but putting my intelligence hat on. Yeah. They allow us to learn more about where people communicate, how they communicate, 
what the magic words are, all that kind of stuff. So we get better at better and anticipating from that reason. But uh, make no mistake, we've got a long way to go. This is uh, an incredibly hard problem. I know from communicating with my foreign counterparts, especially the Five Eyes, that they're struggling with it too. <laughs> so let's just stop right there. So he said analysts. Now I want you to think about that. All these people that the FBI are recruiting have just come out of the colleges and they hate Trump and they're not at all on common sense. They bend the knee. They ask for pronouns. Uh, they believe that feelings matter more than facts. Um, how the hell are you going to have impartial analysts, right? So this is why it's important to understand how artificial intelligence is actually quite necessary for the ones and zeros and stuff like this. And to be able to identify right? Um, and have that objectivity of what is a threat, a credible threat, and what is not. And unfortunately, analysts within the FBI cannot be trusted because their eyes are tainted. It is very hard to find objective people. Uh, you know, I pride myself on being objective when I see things. I may be very subjective in the way I speak, very passionate on the things that I stand for, but when it comes down to the basics of law, justice, and fairness, I am quite objective. I am very objective. It pisses me off that there's there's people that want to identify as whatever and that I have to accommodate that. But on the other hand, I'm not forced to accommodate it, but out of courtesy and their right to express themselves as they wish, I should be lenient toward it. So if someone wants to call themselves furniture, I should call themselves, I can call them furniture because I'm kind, not because I'm forced to. And that's being objective, right? So objectivity is very hard when human nature is to be, to, to be partisan in your uh, actions, in your analyses. Uh, we see it with the left and the right. People on the left can't seem to throw out all, you know, the things that make no sense and stick to the facts. People on the right can't see why the people on the left want to skew facts. In order to be somewhere in the middle, you have to compartmentalize how you see things. Hence why I peek forward and back is done objectively. This is why cues to stimulate memory, timelines, pertinent information was done in a very objective and neutral way as to not to skew the outcome, but to keep it objective. Because unfortunately, when you're in something, you get empowered, right? With that subjectivity. Example, you're at a, a nice game. And you don't support the Knicks or the Cavaliers, right? Let's just pretend you're in a basketball game. You don't support either or, but you're sitting in a crowd of Knicks fans. Guess what? You're going to be cheering for the Knicks because you get overwhelmed by that. That's the way it is. So objectivity. Uh, as to your point about people knowing where to go, you know, I will tell you that our tip line, our public access tip line, uh, both the email tips and the phone tips have exploded in volume, uh, and we're doing things to kind of get that information out to state and local law enforcement much more quickly. And certainly the social media companies, some of them have gotten better at providing us uh, more real-time information when they see something, because they have a lot of resources <laughs> to devote to this problem in terms of policing their own platforms. So the more we can incentivize them to do that, that's a big part of this too. Can I concretize the example? So I'm a high school teacher or a high school principal, and some kid comes to me and says, hey, these kids 
have always seemed to be online bullies, but now it seems like the things they're saying sound more violent. What do you tell them to do? Contact your local FBI field office. So it is, it is FBI. It's not your local police department. Well, I, I think they could also contact state and local law enforcement. We all now work so closely together that I think we view a call to one as a call to us all. We're all, if we get the information, we're, you know, nine times out of 10 going to be pushing it to state and local law enforcement as quickly as we can. We do a lot of outreach to the high schools, like you're talking about, meeting with teachers, meeting with students, meeting with parents to try to get them to understand better what to be on the lookout for, what might be that indicator. Because the one thing we know, whether it... Can the indicator be the teachers promoting people to go out and protest? I'm, I'm just saying, could that be an indicator? Whether it's any kind of domestic violent extremism we've talked about here this, this morning, or frankly, just the, the, the horrific active shooter, school shooter situation, is that when you look back on the path to the, to the key moment, Almost every single time there was a friend, a family member, a neighbor, a classmate, a coworker, something, somebody who knew the person well enough to know this is their baseline. They've now changed in a way that's scary to me. And no one knows better than the person who knows them well. And that's the person we need to come forward when they do. And they're doing it more and more. We're able to get in front of it. I'm, I'm basically at time. So I won't ask a question here, but I'll flag one that I want to continue talking with you about. I would love to hear your big national pitch for these data analysts because we need more great human capital to serve their country in this way. Um, but I also want to be sure that our training for these data analysts um, have First Amendment sensibilities about what they're there to do. They're looking for violence. They're not looking there to be um, the national speech police. Um, so look forward to continuing that conversation. Thanks for your work. Absolutely. Thanks, Senator Sass. Senator Blumenthal. Okay, we're going to skip over Blumenthal. I'm not listening to him. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. He's such and a thank creep. Thank you, Director Ray, for being here today. And I want to Let's join in expressing my interest because clearly the United States Congress portal is scooped. Um, I want to go to Josh. Because clearly the United States Congress was under severe threat. He's such thank you, Mr. Crip keeper. Senator Hawley. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Director Ray, thanks for being here. Uh, can I just go back to a series of questions that Senator Lee asked you? He asked you about the geolocation and metadata aspects and gathering uh, related to, gathering of metadata, that is, related to your investigation of the January 6th riot. Uh, you said you weren't familiar with the specifics. Can I just clarify your responses to him? So, when you say you're not familiar, are you, are you saying that you don't know whether or not the Bureau has scooped up geolocation data, metadata from cell phone t uh, records from cell phone towers? Or, or do you not know? Or are you saying that the Bureau maybe or maybe hasn't done it? Just tell, tell, me, the, tell me what you know about this. So when it comes to geolocation data specifically, again, not in a specific instance, but just even the use of geolocation data, I would not be surprised to learn, but I do not know for a fact that we were using geolocation data uh, under any situation with connection with the investigation of the 6th. But again, we do use geolocation data under specific authorities in specific instances because this is such a sprawling investigation. That would not surprise me. When it comes to metadata, uh, which is a little bit different, obviously, than geolocation data, um, I feel confident that we are using various legal authorities to look at metadata under a variety of situations. Um, but again, the specifics of when, under what circumstances, with whom, that kind of thing, I'm not in a position to testify about with the sprawl and size of the investigation and certainly not uh, in a you know, congressional hearing. What, what authorities do you have in mind? 
you said that you're using the relevant authorities. What what authorities are they? Well, we have various forms of legal process we can serve on companies that will allow us to get access. And that's been done? Well, we're using a lot of legal process in connection with the investigation, so yes. But specifically serving serving process on companies using invoking your various legal powers to get da- data from companies that's been that's been done in the case of gathering this data and gathering metadata I, yeah. I, again i don't know the specifics but i feel <laughs> confident that, that has happened because metadata is often often something that we look at and we have a variety of legal tools that allow us to do that under certain circumstances what about the the cell tower data that uh was reportedly scooped up by the bureau on the day during, in fact, while the riot was underway, what, what, what's happened? What's happened to that data? Do you still have it? Has it been retained? Uh, do you have plans to retain it? So uh, there's always a method to my um, my thought process because knowing that this is happening now. Keep in mind, I haven't watched any of this Christopher Ray testimony. I had to tee it up so you understand rights, your information. Anyone that was in D.C., (laughs) they already have all your data. Anyone that was anywhere, they already have all your data, including your metadata, including everything. How? Well, just like GLB 1372 said, oh, crap, wasn't that the national security letters? That's what's up. Again, whatever we're doing with cell phone data, I'm confident that we're doing it, you know, in conjunction with our appropriate legal tools and working. Well, with how, how, here's what I'm yeah. trying to get at. And I think it's what Senator Lee was trying to get at. How are we going to know what you are doing with it and how are we going to evaluate the Bureau's conduct if, if we if we don't know what authorities you're invoking, what precisely you're doing, what you're retaining? I mean, this is you, you said to him repeatedly you weren't familiar with the specifics. You've now said it to me. Uh, I don't know. I'm not sure how this committee is supposed to evaluate anything that the bureau is doing. You're basically saying just trust us. I mean, how are we how are we going to know? Do we have to wait till the end of your investigation to find out what you've done? Well, uh, certainly, I have to be careful about discussing an ongoing investigation, which I'm sure you can appreciate. Uh, but but uh, all the tools that we have uh, are done in conjunction with prosecutors and lawyers from the Justice Department. Now, if there's information we can provide you before an investigation is completed that goes through what some of the, the authorities we have, the tools we have, et cetera, we could probably provide some information like that that might be useful to you uh, to help answer the question. That would be helpful. Uh, thank you. I'll hold you to that. Let me, let me ask you about some of the things that have been reported um, in the press, particularly there have been a series of reports that the Bureau has worked with banks in the course of the investigation into the January 6th riot and, and the both before and after and that some banks, in particular Bank of America, may have handed over data for 200-plus clients who may have used their credit or debit cards to make purchases in the D.C. area. Well, what do you know about this? Has Bank of America voluntarily turned over information to the Bureau about its customers? I don't know any of the specifics, so I'd have to look into that. And so has the FBI requested similar information from any other companies, to your knowledge? Again, I'm sitting here right now, I do not know the answer to that question. I do know that we work with... Uh, private sector partners, uh, including financial institutions, in a variety of ways uh, all the time in a variety of investigations. But exactly the specifics of what may or may not have happened here, uh, that I don't know sitting here as we're talking today. The, as, as I'm sure you can appreciate, my concern here is that 12 U.S.C. 3403 prohibits financial institutions from turning over confidential client records, unless, of course, they've got 
isn't it funny how a battle that I've waged from four years ago is now being applied on a national level? Isn't it funny how the conversation happens? I'm just pointing out these coincidences. Isn't it funny how these things are just coming together? The whole violation of privacy, the whole gang stalking, the whole abuse of office and power, the whole this, that, that. We can't tell you. We have to show you. And that is key. God will never tell you, do not. He will let you see it yourself so you can understand it. Huh. So someone says, Tori, you're not making much sense. Please elaborate. What part are you not understanding? Josh Howley is pointing out that banks have violated your right that you saw is deemed unconstitutional handing over your information. So the question is, what is the equivalent to the administrative subpoena that the attorney general put out on me with what they are doing to everyone else. I'm, I'm sorry, Michelle, 59, elaborate on what isn't making sense to you because I think it's pretty simplified over, you know, this past hour. I'm not understanding. And if there's something that doesn't make sense to you, please elaborate. Uh, rather than just throwing the comment out, you have to ask yourself, a violation of your rights and your information. They're taking all your metadata. They took all your Twitter data, hence why you got banned. The Patriot Act and the NDAA already allows it. Allows what? Allows a bank to hand over your information? The only time the Patriot Act is enforced is if you're getting foreign money. Unless you were in D.C. using your card with foreign assets, I don't see how it is. It, were you money laundering on January 6th? Well, then that would apply to you. But if you were going down to Starbucks to get a coffee or buy yourself a flag or a hat, please elaborate how that is allowed. And if there are stipulations that they are allowed to secretly look into your bank account or into your phone records, maybe you should fix it. Kind of like that secret printing off subpoenas at will. All you have to say is, yeah, I'm just investigating something. You don't need a complaint. You don't need a victim. You don't need monetary laws. You don't need shit. But you can print it out and say, yeah, yeah, I'm totally investigating. So, see, the Patriot Act and the NDAA would allow for foreign issues and money laundering and uh, getting funded by a foreign entity. So, again, Michelle, I don't see what's not clear. What is clear is that every single American is getting a colonoscopy right now. And what Millie pointed out in her video, PSYOP the Steel, they have the best cameras on every damn street corner in D.C. Yet they're asking you for information because they can't see it. They can follow someone from anywhere in D.C. to anywhere in D.C., even into Virginia. So again, why is it that they're asking people for information? So you can voluntarily put yourself on their list so they could say, Joe Schmo is there. Hey, Joe Schmo, 
Let me look at your phone. Oops, you were in contact with Angela. So now my subpoenas and secret national security letters and overreach of powers can now go into Angela. And Angela was talking to Joe. So now I can look into Joe. Next thing you know, everyone's on a damn database. So that's how it is. Now, (laughs) what I'm pointing out is it's kind of funny how I'm actually fighting on a micro level what is being talked about right now in the Senate. See, sometimes people like Michelle can't grasp larger, uh, you know, uh, nationally applied things. So let's look at the semi-applied things, the little focus, the hyper-focus. The hyper-focus is one individual, one individual that has rights, me. I have rights. I can do as I wish as long as I don't commit a crime right? So I'm doing this. I am not doing, I am not, I did not commit a crime. I did not state that I was a charity. They did. I never did. And they just kept going and they violated my rights. Uh, They probed my whole life. And then they used whatever pieced information they had to create a narrative to just slander me. That was the whole thing. So the question everybody should be asking themselves is, shit, that's one person. That's really fucked up. Now take that to scale and put it on a national level where they've taken your Twitter, your Facebook, your Instagram, your banking records, your phone metadata, your phone calls, your photos, everything. Fucked up, isn't it? That's how it is. So it's kind of funny how for four years this has been brewing and now it's blowing up onto a national scale. And that's the point that I'm trying to make here. Got reasonable suspicion that there's a crime being committed. Now, the news reports on this have indicated that that the financial institutions were doing this in cooperation with the Bureau without any such indication of a crime. They're just turning over reams of consumer data. That obviously would be a major legal problem, a major legal concern. Can you try and get me some answers to these questions? I appreciate you say you don't know today. You're not aware of what's going on. But can you? So what else did he point out? The financial institutions can't hand over your data, point this, right? Unless there is some sort of crime, right? Or that they're investigating a crime. Now let's take it back to mine on a little level. What crime did I commit? Nothing. She operated without stating she was a charity is his claim, right? Is that a crime? No, it's not. It's actually a civil thing. It's not a crime. So then why did the bank hand it over? So here... Bank of America volunteered information of all people that were down at uh, D.C. Did uh, the FBI come to them and say they committed a crime? No, but they still handed it over. What does that mean? Oh, I smell class action. Can you look into this and follow up with me on this? I'd be happy to see if there's more information we can provide you on the subject. As I said, we we have a variety of ways in which we engage with financial institutions in particular. Uh, and as you referenced, there's a number of legal authorities that, that describe when you can and cannot do that and how that's supposed to work. So I don't want to get out, as they say, over my skis and try to characterize what may have happened in this specific, specific instance. Uh, but I'm happy to look into it and see if there's more information we can provide. And here is how you can find out information yourself the same way I did. After I had an attorney, I got bold. After David entered my life, I got bold. And you know what I did? I asked the bank to give me the subpoena they got. They played stupid. And I said, I already know you were handed a subpoena that you're not supposed to talk about and you violated my right. I'm going to sue the shit out of you, but not right now. I want you to give it to me. 
And they played dumb and said, we have to ask if we can tell you about it. <laughs> so they asked permission from the attorney general to give it to me. Now for you guys, well, if you have Bank of America or any bank account and you were in D.C. in January, I would highly suggest you send an email to them and ask them, have you, have you, without my knowledge, provided any information on my banking information? Send that to your phone company. Have you, without my knowledge, provided any of my information, metadata, call history or anything to any law enforcement? You can ask them. And they'll have to respond and they'll respond with a yes or a no. And that's it. Because if, if say, for example, you had a picture of someone and you never turned it over to the FBI and they come after you, you'd be like, well, you know, I checked to see, you know, I didn't know. I, I have, nope, you knew. Well, here's where you cover your ass. You already know they have it. And then you can keep that and say, so the FBI came after me knowing I had something that I didn't know was important. And now they're prosecuting me to give them even more. This is where it comes down to pay attention. This is what Biden's trick is. What about uh, some of the technology companies, Facebook, Google, Twitter, Apple, Amazon? Has the has the FBI had contacts with those tech platforms following the events of the 6th? Uh, we've certainly had contact with a number of the social media companies uh, in connection with the 6th, um, so that much I know. Have, has the Bureau sought to compel any of those companies to turn over user data related to the 6th? Well, again, I, don't, I can't tell you the specifics here, but what I will That's tell a you yes. is that uh, we I'm, I'm feel certain that we have served legal process on those companies, uh, which we do with some frequency. Uh, and we have received information from some of those companies. And whether that's true of every single one of the companies you listed, I can't say for sure, but I, I suspect it is because we work with the social media companies quite a lot. So did any of those social media companies get in touch with you? That's your question. So the question is, Twitter has now banned you. So now that they've banned you, if the FBI asks for information, will they still contact you? Or are they not obliged to contact you since you're no longer a customer? Or will they say because you're no longer a customer, they didn't have to contact you? Are you paying attention now? Are you aware of any of the companies voluntarily turning over data to the Bureau in relationship to the events of the 6th? Uh, I can't. Sitting here right now, I can't say for sure. Just one more question, Mr. Chairman. Time's almost expired. Is the FBI, are you, are you currently pressuring any of these platforms, these social media platforms or tech platforms to include backdoors in their software that would help defeat end-to-end -end encryption? Are we pressuring? Are you company? encouraging? Oh, are, you, encouraging. are you pushing for? Are you, uh, is well, it your desire to get such access? Is, we are not trying to get backdoors. Uh, that is, I think, a criticism that gets leveled our way by people who uh, don't understand our position often. So I appreciate the opportunity uh, to address it here. Uh, we are concerned about end-to-end -end encryption, especially default end-to-end -end encryption uh, in connection with a lot, a lot of these platforms. And we are concerned uh, that if these companies continue to move in the trajectory that they're moving in, we are going to find ourselves in a situation where no matter how bulletproof or ironclad the legal authority, no matter how compelling the facts and circumstances, no matter how horrific the crime or heartbreaking the victim, we will not be able to get access to the content that we need to keep people safe. What we have been suggesting, uh, and the cryptologists and cryptographists that I talk to say this is doable, is for the companies themselves to build in uh, a way to have legal access when confronted with a proper legal authority so that they can get access to the information and provide it in response to a warrant or a court order. 
We're not going to have a key. We're not asking for a back door. That's a, a myth, an urban legend that has been uh, uh, directed our way. But this is a subject that I think the American people need to understand because decisions that affect the life and blood of Americans all over this country, which normally are made by our elected representatives, are in effect getting made in corporate offices in big technology companies. And different people can come down to different places on that balancing, but I would I want to know how the Attorney General got my Facebook stuff and my Twitter stuff, but LinkedIn said no. I want to know why they just gave it to him. But, you know, that's a war that I will wage after the first one's done. That's a balancing that should be made up here and not by one company based on its business model. And so Twitter um, purged a bunch of accounts and then submitted all their information and data to the FBI. And in the context, for example, of child exploitation, we get, and to Facebook's great credit, we get millions, millions of tips on child exploitation through NCMEC every year that help us prevent and rescue kids, hundreds of kids every year. If they move forward in the direction they're moving in, which is the direction, by the way, that Apple already went, we're going to be in a position where those tips, those leads, that content, that information will drop into the abyss. So the tips will be gone. The victims, all those kids will still be out there. The pedophiles that are uh, exploiting them, they'll still be out there. The only thing that will be different is that neither the company nor we in law enforcement will know who they are, where they are, or what they're doing. And I don't think that's a situation that we want to find ourselves in. So we would welcome the opportunity to work with the companies, perhaps uh, encouraged or incentivized uh, through Congress, to get to a situation where we can balance strong cybersecurity, absolutely. It's a key part of our mission as well. I want to see Chrissy Teigen's DMs. strong flesh and blood security, especially for America's children. Thank you, Senator. Senator Hirono is on remote. Can you hear me, Senator? Yes. <clears throat> Thank you, Mr. Chairman. <clears throat> Director Ray, <clears throat> excuse me, Director Ray, following the January 6th insurrection, you and other senior law enforcement officials. Yeah, let's skip over this uh, one. We don't need to public- listen to her. Let's go to Cruz. Where's Cruz? I want to go to Ted Cruz. Cory Booker, him and his stupid lynching shit. Let's move over. Wait, is this Kennedy? Let's just go. I want to find Cruz. Where the heck is Cruz? I want to find Cruz. Where's Cruz? Did we skip over Cruz? Here we go. Ted Cruz. Grassley about the the death of Officer Sicknick, and and there obviously this is, is interesting. Considerable interest and concern in the Senate and, and across the country as, uh, as to the circumstances of Officer Sicknick's death. There have been conflicting reports uh, about the circumstances of his death. Uh, you told Senator Grassley the FBI at this point is not in a position to confirm a, a cause of death. Uh, is there any information uh, that the FBI can share with the American people about what we know of the circumstances surrounding his tragic death? Uh, although I I'm, uh, certainly understand and appreciate the keen interest in it for all the reasons we've discussed, uh, at the moment, other than to say the Capitol Police has, of course, categorized it, I think, appropriately as a line of duty death. There's nothing really that I can share right now. Certainly, I understand why it's very much top of mind for people, and I think it speaks well of the members of Congress that they're so interested in somebody who's lost his life protecting all of you. So as soon as we're in a position 
when the investigation has gotten to a stage where we can share information, we, we want to be able to do that. Now, let's talk more broadly about domestic terrorism, uh, because the riot on January 6th didn't occur, come out of nowhere. Um, and last year, the Department of Justice created a task force to investigate and understand the growth of political violence. Uh, the memo creating the task force states, amid peaceful demonstrations protected by the First Amendment, we have seen anti-government extremists engage in indefensible acts of violence designed to undermine public order. Among other lawless conduct, these extremists have violently attacked police officers and other government officials, destroyed public and private property, and threatened innocent people. Uh, is, is that task force still operating? Uh, I know the work uh, that the task force began is still ongoing. Um, in the past year, we have seen... Let me answer that question. No. There's no longer a task force, but the work that they started... I know that the work they started is continuing. Did you hear that? Because that's what I heard. Massive rioting and violence uh, as extremists, many of them leftist extremists, took to the streets across the country. In just two weeks at the end of May and early June, over 700 law enforcement officers were injured. Looking at all of 2020, over 14,000 people have been arrested in 49 cities, and at least 25 people have died in the violence. And it's estimated that the property damages from these riots could exceed $2 billion. What is the FBI doing to counter this, this ongoing pattern of, of domestic terrorism? So, Senator, uh, certainly we uh, tried to respond aggressively with our partners to uh, the domestic violent extremism that we saw playing out in streets all across the country this summer. Um, uh, most of that activity, a lot of that activity, I would say, fell in what we would categorize as anti-government, anti-authority violent extremism. Some of it is anarchist violent extremism. Some of it is militia violent extremism. Some of it might even be sovereign citizen violent extremism. But we saw a, a huge uptick in violent extremism in that broad bucket over the course of last year. Uh, and so we're trying to be aggressive with the tools that we have in terms of the charges we're bringing. We're trying to, as we talked about, frankly, in connection with January 6th, same thing for the summer. We're trying to look at sources of funding, planning, coordination, trying to learn more about tradecraft and tactics and things like that so that we can be better prepared to prevent it and feed information to our state and local partners so they can be better prepared to prevent it. Uh, as, as I think I said to, uh, to Senator Grassley, uh, last year, uh, we had three times the number of anarchist violent extremist arrests uh, from, say, uh, the prior year, I think it was. Certainly more last year than the prior three years combined. Um, we did see last year, uh, as Senator Graston noted in his opening comments, the first uh, murder by an anarchist violent extremist um, last year in quite some time, certainly, uh, which was the individual who in Portland uh, killed a, a supporter of an opposing viewpoint. And then the, the individual in question, the, the violent extremist, was himself killed in a, in a shootout as the marshals were trying to apprehend him. Thank you. All right. So now let's see a pretty interesting um, question that Ray was asked and how he responded. Give me a second. Let me play this clip for you. Fascinating sounds like people um, saw 
um, PSYOP the steel. And they want to know. Take a listen. Hold on. Is this... Okay. Here we go. About the January 6th, the riot here at the Capitol. You've said there have been, I think, 280 arrests uh, so far. Um, Has there so far been any evidence that the January 6th riot here, the insurrection, was organized by people simply posing as supporters of President Trump's? We have not seen any evidence of that, uh, certainly. At this Is there point. any evidence at all that it was organized or planned or carried out by groups like Antifa or Black Lives Matter? We have not seen any evidence to that effect thus far in the investigation. Who's John Sullivan? That the people who stormed the Capitol included um, white supremacists and other uh, far-right extremist organizations. Uh, there's no doubt that it included uh, individuals that we would call militia violent extremists, uh, and then in some instances, individuals that were racially motivated violent extremists who advocate for you know the superiority of the white race. But the militia <laughs> violent extremists is probably at the moment uh, trending the biggest bucket, if you will. Well, you. Hmm. So who's John Sullivan? Uh, I guess that's not something that we should you know, even think about, right? That's it. So now speaking to all the naysayers of the new party, right? Um, it is a patriot party. It is uh, a unified party. It's the new GOP. And um, here's some crow for everyone. I guess changing the name would have been too complicated because we have a lot of people that are so institutionalized, it, they just can't wrap their head around it. And former President Trump's CPAC speech over the weekend yesterday had a lot of big moments, and maybe this was the most important. We're not starting new parties. You know, they kept saying, he's going to start a brand new party. We have the Republican Party. It's going to unite and be stronger than ever before. I am not starting a new party. There you have it. So the president says that the current party will unite. But the truth is, we all know the old guard, the warmongers, the so-called moderates who have allowed liberals to drag this country to the left over the years are not going to go along with Trumpism. The former president knows that as well. He's announced he'll be actively working to unseat the anti-Trumpers. He named a number of politicians on his hit list yesterday and had this to say to our own Mark Halperin. Do you have confidence in, in Mitch McConnell and Liz Cheney, who are two current elected leaders, to do the mission that you want to do, the kind of opposition to the Biden agenda that you want? Well, they have to do their job. If they do their job, great. I think uh, Liz Cheney is a hopeless case, and uh, Mitch will see whether or not he can do his job. He went easy on McConnell there. That's a calculated move. But imagine being Mitt Romney, Adam Kinzinger, Bill Cassidy, Susan Collins, or even Liz Cheney right now. That's horrifying. Maybe Romney will just become a Democrat. Who knows? He already marches with BLM. He'll fit right in. The Republican Party needed better definition. It's happening right now. A party of working people with national pride who want lower taxes, less entitlement, more personal responsibility, smaller government, and an American foreign policy that prioritizes America and Americans. How novel. For years, Republicans stood by while the guts of this country were ripped out. Here's a question for you. There were 43 Republicans in the Senate in 1993. Can you guess how many of them voted against NAFTA? Out of 43, only 10. 33 Republicans voted for the deal that Donald Trump calls the worst trade deal ever signed in this country. 
This party has been turned on its head. Major corporations loved NAFTA. Globalists loved NAFTA. But how'd that play out for regular working Americans? A globalist Republican now won't fit inside this new party. Anyone still looking out for corporate interests, any politician not embracing populism, is toast in this new party. There is no energy behind Ben Sass and Mitt Romney. Everybody knows that. Old guard Republicans are trouble, in major trouble, in any post-Trump national election. Trump peeled back the onion and showed everybody how this game works. D.C. hates him for it still. Conservatives are not interested in voting for politicians that only look out for themselves, corporations, and special interests any longer. They've seen the light. And while many may wish Trump behaved better at times, he is real, and he is larger than life. And the rest of the field, as it stands now, pales in comparison to him. Democrats and the media know that, which is why they're so enraged, outraged, to see him making such a swift return to politics. Here's John Brennan, you know that name, earlier today, who may not be identifying as a (laughs) white man for much longer. Take a listen. I'm increasingly embarrassed to be a white male these days. Light of what I see of my other white males saying, but it, it just shows that with the with very few exceptions like Mitt Romney, Liz Cheney, Adam Kinzinger, there are so few Republicans in Congress who value truth, honesty and integrity. And so they'll continue to gaslight the country the way that Donald Trump did. He's a guy that was a communist back in college, by the way. And so could there is. be a bigger endorsement for Trumpism? Whatever John Brennan doesn't like, that's probably exactly what we should be doing. The people that John Brennan likes, we probably don't need. By the way, John, nobody is more embarrassed that you are a white male than the rest of us white males. So we can understand how you feel. That's what's up. That's what's up. Now, to tidy this show up today, um, today we're going to be reading Millie's channel. She's going to be live after. Um, I wanted to introduce you to what a class action suit is. I did really want to get into Bula, but we could do that tomorrow, along with analyzing President Trump's uh, speech, because I saw that a lot of, uh, you know, influencers didn't say much because they're still waiting. So I'm going to just make them wait. Uh, so let's... <laughs> Let's let's uh, kind of uh, walk through uh, what a basic class action lawsuit is, the basics, okay, the basics, so that you understand what it is uh, when we say it. I know a lot of people are like, oh, that means there's a lot of people. There are intricacies to it. So I wanted to help verse you with this so that you are armed with knowledge to understand it. Uh, it's quite important that we know. Um, you know, as we're writing history, how we're making history and uh, what the building blocks for it are. Here it go. Class action lawsuits provide an important vehicle by which similarly situated claimants, sometimes numbering in the thousands, can litigate their causes of action in a single judicial forum. As such, class action lawsuits promote judicial economy, efficiency in the adjudicatory process, and fairness to the participating claimants. An attorney striving to represent a class of individuals suffering similar harms must, under Federal Rule of Civil Procedure 23, satisfy several stringent requirements before a court will certify and thus approve the litigation as a class action lawsuit. A class action lawsuit is brought by a class representative and is brought on behalf of many people allegedly injured by malfeasance by a single defendant or by a small number of defendants. To successfully certify a class, an individual must satisfy four prerequisites under Rule 23A. 
numerosity, commonality, typicality, and adequacy of representation. The United States Supreme Court has held that a plaintiff must prove, not merely plead, each requirement. Consequently, courts perform an exacting analysis of the pleadings to determine if each requirement is met. Importantly, however, in so doing, courts need not, and usually cannot at this stage, decide the substantive claim of the class on the merits, but instead may only conduct inquiries to determine if the certification requirements are satisfied. The first requirement is numerosity. The numerosity requirement doesn't focus on the specific number of individuals in a class, although courts have typically held that classes of less than 20 members are insufficiently numerous. Rather, the courts evaluate whether the joinder of people affected in a regular lawsuit would be impractical. If not, there's no point in bothering with a class action. The lawsuit should be brought as a regular civil action. In conducting this inquiry, courts consider, among other things, the difficulty of locating the class members, the size and complexity of the individual claims, the ability of the affected plaintiffs to commence separate actions, and the types of claims and relief sought. For example, 46 people on a local bus that was in an accident, who all live locally, probably don't need a class action to go forward with a lawsuit. They can just sue individually or in one large civil action that's not a class action. However, 40 victims of a false advertising campaign scattered around the country and whose injuries are hard to measure may be more likely to warrant class action status. The second requirement is commonality. The claims of all class members must involve common questions of law or fact. Courts don't require that all questions of law or fact be common to the class, and the presence of modest factual differences among the class members will not necessarily defeat commonality. Instead, an individual representing the class members must demonstrate that there exists at least one question of law or fact that is common to the class. The individual must plead and prove commonality with the requisite degree of specificity. Generalized allegations, such as a broad assertion that the members have been victims of fraud, without specifically identifying, describing, and defining a specific common fraud that the class members were all a victim of, will fail the commonality requirement. The class members must demonstrate not only that they have common common claims, but that the manner in which those claims arose, such as allegedly fraudulent behavior of a corporate entity or negligent misrepresentations of a manufacturer, are common as well. If the injuries suffered by the plaintiffs are so different that they cannot be described with this level of commonality, it would be impractical to handle all of their claims in a single lawsuit. The third element is typicality. The typicality requirement doesn't focus primarily on the class members, but on whether the class representative or named plaintiff are typical of those in the class. For example, the United States Supreme Court held that the named plaintiff must have the same interests and allege the same injury as the class members. To satisfy this standard, the class representative must demonstrate that there is a sufficient connection between the representative's claims and those of the class members. More specifically, the representative must prove that the class representative's claim share the same essential characteristics as those of the putative class. Provided that such claims arise from a similar course of conduct and share the same legal theory, factual differences will not defeat typicality. Finally, the class representative must demonstrate that he will fairly and adequately represent the interests of the absent class members. In making this determination, courts will focus on whether the interests of the class representative and class members conflict, whether the injuries allegedly suffered by the class representative are similar to the absent class members, whether there are any issues upon which the class representative and absent class members disagree, and whether the attorneys hired to handle the class action have the capability to represent the class skillfully and competently.
Once a class is certified, Rule 23B provides a class representative must demonstrate one of the following additional reasons that the action should be brought as a class action rather than by each individual plaintiff individually. One, litigating separate actions would risk inconsistent adjudications and would thus establish incompatible standards of conduct for the defendant, or would, as a practical matter, resolve the interests of other class members. Or two, the defendants have acted or refused to act in a manner that is generally applicable to the class. And three, the common questions of law or fact predominate over an individual class member's claims, and a class action lawsuit is therefore superior to other methods of adjudication. Let's look at these in more detail. The first possibility is that litigating separate actions would risk inconsistent adjudications that impose incompatible standards of conduct. When construing Rule 23b-1, an individual should consult the advisory committee's notes, which explain as follows. One person may have rights against or be under duties towards numerous persons constituting a class and be so positioned that conflicting or varying adjudications and lawsuits with individual members of the class might establish incompatible standards to govern his conduct. The class action device can be used effectively to obviate the actual or virtual dilemma, which would thus confront the party opposing the class. Essentially, Rule 23b-1 strives to safeguard absent class members from litigation that could negatively affect their ability to safeguard their interests. The second justification for the class action is when the defendants have acted or refused to act in a manner generally applicable to the class. Under this rule, Rule 23b-2, the class representative must demonstrate that a. the defendant acted in a manner that is generally applicable to the class, b. the class members have standing to seek the type of relief requested, and c. a single remedy, such as declaratory or injunctive relief, would benefit each member of the class. Put differently, the class representative may not seek in individualized legal remedies for each member. And this includes a prohibition on class members seeking individualized monetary damages or amounts. The third possible justification is that common questions of law or fact predominate over the individual class member's claims. This is true under Rule 23b-3 of the federal rules, and where common questions of law or fact predominate over individual claims, a class action lawsuit is a superior method to fairly and effectively resolve the legal issues. Once the class action is certified and moving forward, members of the class must be notified of the existence of the class action and explained their rights. This is typically done by mailed document that announces the pending class action and explains the rights of members of the class to them. Each member of the class has the following option. One, the member can do nothing and remain part of the class. Two, the member can opt out and choose not to go forward as part of the class. Or three, the member can retain her own attorney to represent her in the class action proceeding. If the class member does nothing and remains part of the class, then he or she will share any judgment or settlement that the class action lawsuit eventually earns. However, that class member is not able to bring a separate lawsuit based on the same facts. In other words, the class member is bound by whatever result the class action brings. If the class member opts out, she does not share in any judgment or settlement and will receive no benefit from the class action lawsuit, but may bring a separate cause of action based on these facts. The class member would do this when he feels that he has a strong case and will likely win more by bringing his own lawsuit than he would by sharing in the benefits of the class action judgment or settlement. The third option allows the class member to retain her status as a class member, but have her own attorney represent her interests to ensure that the class action proceeds in a manner that is fair and advantageous to the class. 
So I'm going to tell you about that for a second. So there was a class action lawsuit that was held against Wells Fargo, right? And I got a mailing, a little card saying, hey, we're doing class action against Wells Fargo. This was like a long, long time ago. And I was like, Wells Fargo, maybe my partner had that account, whatever. And then they send me a check in the mail about, you know, a few years later uh, because I didn't know anything about it or anything. Now, with that decision and whatever, I think that check was like $6 and something cents. That went to every person that didn't respond. But if someone had responded and said, I opt out with that favorable decision, right? They could have then went to court and sued them for tens of thousands of dollars, right? So that's how these things work. Now, before we end today, there's a very short clip um, that makes it even simpler. And hopefully this information has given you an understanding of why they said that Sidney Powell didn't have standing, what arguments they used, and how a class action can move forward. Um, and class action sometimes is used um, uh, very, um, you know, no, we don't even need to get into it. Forget that. Listen, uh, the bottom line is, is that class action suits are good when you don't really care about the money and you just want the judgment. Okay. That is basically how they move forward. There are various class action suits that I know a lot of people would be fine bringing on, uh, to, I would say, um, uh, uh, the NIH or the CDC, because you really don't care about the money. I mean, it would be great, but you really don't care about the money at this point. At this point, you just want them to be held accountable. So there are many things that will be coming. And what they will realize is that very, very soon, the people of the United States, well, we're going to be rising like champions, like champions. So on that note, I'm going to bid you guys goodbye. Those of you that are in Twitch, we're going to be reading Millie Weaver soon. God bless everyone. I will see you tomorrow. Same time, same place as always. God bless. God bless. When the lights go out and the night is falling I'll be standing tall With the whole world watching When the fight goes down And every eye is on me I'll be standing strong With or without warning It's been a long time coming I've been waiting for you it's been a long time coming, I've been waiting for you.